Hey everybody, it's Matt Johnson. We are back with another episode of the Pursuing Results podcast where we interview successful people about one book that changed their life and we have an amazing guest and an amazing book. Uh, our guest today is a, an executive coach. We'll let him kind of give uh, give you the the 60 second bio of who, who he is and all that good stuff. But we're talking about the book The Four Agreements uh, by I believe the author's name is Don Miguel Ruiz and we're going to go into kind of what, what the main takeaways that our guest took from that, how it transformed his business, how he uses the book now uh, in his coaching practice with executives and teams and creative shops to help them uh, clear some of the assumptions, not take things personally, and really follow through on the uh, the principles that are described in the book. It looks it's a phenomenal book, so I encourage everyone to go out and get it. But before we get into that, let me bring in my uh, my usual co-host, the co-pilot, <laughs> the junior grandmaster himself. Greg, what's up today? Matt, what is going on to you? Uh, happy Monday to you. I um, in our pre-show we were talking with David, and you know we we were all laughing our butts off at a couple of the things that we were talking about and about you know assumptions and all kinds of other things and I cannot wait to dive deep into this book I have already David I actually have already gone to Audible and yes you know it bought the book recording yes Matt I know it's not a real book um, and I cannot wait to go into it because I think it's gonna be able to I'm gonna love to learn more about it and I know that David's gonna make it fun and entertaining for us so I'm just I'm so pleased to be here right now that's right well with that let's bring you in so David Taylor Klaus how's it going today <laughs> he muted himself. He goes on mute. <laughs> there we go. Let me get those yeah, uh, you know, it's going incredibly well. And really, I love what we did during the pre-show, so let's see if we can uh, sort of bring that here, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, give us the, uh, for those that don't know you, give us the 60-second bio, who you are, where you are, and what you do. Great. So my name is David Taylor Klaus. My company is DTK Coaching. And the best way to describe my work is that I reintroduce successful entrepreneurs and executives to their families. And really, so a great way to understand that is, you know, we all reach a level where each new level of professional success can come at the expense of either personal fulfillment or personal success. Yeah. So that's the place where I really work. It's when people are feeling that they've lost track with what they're supposed to be doing, what they want to be doing, for that matter, what they want. And so that's when I work with, that's when my clients come to me. So it's an opportunity for them to recenter on what's important. And I do that by coaching the leader, whether they're a senior executive, an entrepreneur, and the team that they, that they lead. Um, find a lot of the times that as a leader sort of shifts their own internal culture and internal behavior, that a lot of those behaviors are sort of trailing behind them on their team. Yeah, boy, right? not the truth. So, yeah. <laughs> so are there any kind of, David, are there any kind of triggers that you've seen consistently that people should, as they're watching this, they should be like, oh, oh crap, I need to call David. What are some consistent triggers that people need to be aware of when they're like, okay, I'm at that breaking point? Great question. Uh, the minute you hear your spouse saying, I hate your job more than you do, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say when your spouse says, I hate your job more than I hate you. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, probably a couple, probably a little late. <laughs> I think it's psychologist. Yeah, That's when they hire knows. you and a marriage therapist. That's right. Marriage therapy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me, when I knew I'd reached that point was when I turned the doorknob at my office, my stomach turned. So ooh. I realized that I was kind of out of sync. So the idea is to start turning it before it gets that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally. Yeah. So. <laughs> Turn it around so you're actually looking forward to going to work instead of exactly. dreading to go to work because it's, it's sucking the life marrow blood out of you, right? Well, there was this nasty research that was done a couple of years ago that there's a, an incredibly high correlation between being unhappy at work and uh, it's highly predictive of being unhappy at home. 
Now, mm. unfortunately, there's no other statistically significant correlation. So if you're happy at work, it doesn't make you, you know, happier at home. Unfortunately, there's so many folks that, like you said, it's sucking the life out of them at work. Well, that really impacts what it's life at, like at home, and that gets toxic mm -hmm. for everybody mm -hmm. else there. So that's really why I got into this work in the first place. That's fascinating. I mean, I, I hope there's hope there's more than more people out there like you that are doing this because this is a, probably more of an epidemic than most people realize. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and it's interesting because the so the the book is about limiting beliefs, but the like David, what you just mentioned, the idea that you can't get successful or that being successful in business automatically meet, has to come at the expense of something else, your, your personal success, your home life, whatever, that in itself is a limiting belief that I think a lot of us have. We automatically right. look to, it's we look to it as a zero-sum game. And you know it's not, and that's like what Don Miguel Ruiz talks about a lot is the agreements are the internal or cultural assumptions that we take as true, right? So if we believe that the way you become a success is 70-hour work weeks, see your kids on the weekends. Oh, um, that If you believe that that's the way it is, you'll have that for a few years until it all falls apart. It, it's We've gotten to this idea that the I, the, the term work-life balance makes my skin crawl. Right? Really? Like, when did it be okay to put work first? Huh. Nice. Even, even the term is backwards. So, and even when <laughs> I put in a, a search into Google a couple of years ago um, that said life work balance, I did it in quotes so that it's supposed to come back as just a results for that right. phrase. And 75 out of the first 100 came back as work life balance. Even the algorithm has it backwards, hmm. which is tongue <laughs> So, no, it, it's actually, you can try to separate them, but you're not going to be able to, so stop trying. It's really about life work integration. You know, and that's that's really where where the real work is. You know, it's funny that you say that. When I uh, I coach a lot of real estate agents, and they're always saying, "Well, Greg, we I need to put a business plan together. I need to put a business plan together." I'm like, "No, you don't. What you, you need to do plan. is you need to put a life plan. Exactly. You know, build your perfect life, then plug in in those holes your business. You'll be the happiest person on planet Earth. Don't do it. You're doing it like this. You're doing it wrong. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I've been describing it. For, for the last eight years that what we do is we try to jam our life into the cracks around our work and that's what makes us crazy and gray. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, I thought you dipped your beard in the in the bucket of knowledge. Isn't that yes, what you I dipped my chin in wisdom. Yes. <laughs> my favorite line. <laughs> if right, goes so long enough, you'll probably hear me say it again. <laughs> uh, it and we will laugh just as hard. Yes, we will. Just, just for the recording. <laughs> good, good. That's right. Okay, so so take us back. You mentioned just a little bit about the kind of the low point for you when you when you turn the office door handle and, and your stomach turns. But take me back a little. Is that the same point? Like when when about did you come across the book itself? Where where was your business at that point? Great. No, uh, thankfully it was a couple years after that. Okay. Um, I, I don't think if I had read it at that point, if if I would have finished it. It would have gotten offended by the very concept that I was stuck there because of the agreements that I was making with myself. I would have been pissed. Oh, interesting. Because <laughs> I was still externalizing. It was everybody else's fault, right? Of course, naturally. Blaming victim guy. Um, no, I, I was at the point where, you know, I came across this in October of 2009. And I know because that was when I started a year-long coactive leadership training program. And it was one of the assigned, it was the first book they assigned, or at least I remember it being the first one. Um, I had already done a year's worth of, or over a year of coach training and certification work, and I was in the mid, at the early stage of that program. Um, I was, oh my God, 
you know, I had a, a load of 10 one-to-one -one clients, plus I was still co-leading my internet strategy and web development company. Um, and I think my kids had forgotten what I looked like. I was really, you know, so driven. I was trying to do it all to get it to work. I wanted to make sure that the business was perfect before I left the other one. Mm. Right. Yeah. And the, 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 so the ulcers were back, but for a different reason. Um, but, but for me, it was, you know, I was at a place where it was really the beginning of this coaching practice. So I was able to see, you know, I had a very different awareness to the first leadership question. You know, the, the most important question a leader can ever ask is, what part of the problem am I? Hmm. Well, this came at a place where I was sort of steeping in self-awareness. So I had no choice but to answer the question, what part of the problem am I? I was all of it. And... Um, <laughs> The the four agreements was a real wake up call. Okay. I love that quote. I love that. What problem? The what part of the problem am I? Asking yourself that, allowing yourself to front one, is humbling yourself and becoming more transparent with everyone around you. Going, okay, look, I am not, you know, God. I am not, you know, the most perfect creature on earth. I I screw up. So what part am I playing? And if they have come back with your response of like, I'm the whole damn thing. I'm the whole enchilada with extra, yeah. extra cheese. Um, you know, then then that's you can good. start fixing it. And at least yeah, you can be that's aware. The good news. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a weird thing, like the whole personal responsibility thing. The, the, I think unsuccessful people struggle with it because they internalize the blame, mm -hmm. but you have to have to like compartmentalize it. Like, yes, I'm responsible for where I am, but the good news is that I can change. Let's forget about the past, move on towards the future, and, and get on with it. And I think that's the struggle, and sometimes one of the one of the defining differences between successful and unsuccessful people is that ability to. I don't know what what you would call it, David. It's like the the ability to take responsibility without internalizing the negative feelings that go onto it and letting it knock down your self-esteem. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's being objective and holding compassion. Mm. You know, I, if you judge yourself for the failures, then you don't have the opportunity to learn from it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key piece. If, you know, you're bad, you're wrong, you're bad, you're wrong, you're not in a place to look at it and say, okay, what worked, what didn't work? Well, and if I can be objective and I can be compassionate about the fact that I'm not perfect, then I do have the opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times I believe that people are so prideful um, that they can't admit to themselves or, or won't admit to themselves that they that they that they did something wrong because hey, my ego's on the line. A lot of us guys, we have all have some degree of an ego of something, right? And if you are shown out to the general public and the world that look, you you screwed the pooch. You know, you really didn't do you didn't do what you said you could do. Now you now you have to admit to yourself that you're that you need work, which no one wants to really admit that. Everyone wants to say I'm doing it perfectly the first time outside the gate. Um, but I, personally, for me, when I started actually allowing myself to say, look, you screwed up, man. How are we going to move forward from this? Tremendous growth right out of the gate from that. Well, and and you've picked up a key difference, and I think that's a lot of the the second agreement. The don't take it pers don't take things personally. The you're separating yourself. Screwing up doesn't mean you're a screw up. Mm -hmm. Failing at something doesn't mean you're a failure. And that's that was the 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 inflection point for me. I was holding whether a launch or a client project or a, a hire or losing an employee. I looked at everything as if there is a failure, then I'm a failure. I wasn't separating myself from the business. I was at the complete opposite end of the arc of taking things personally. Everything. Personally. Oh yeah, and yeah. so yeah, that that there's no growth from that place. Mm -hmm. You know, ideally, I'll make every every mistake a new one. Um, yeah. Evidently, yeah, exactly. you know, some I liked so much I made them over and over. Uh, 
<laughs> there was something really interesting about that second point. Uh, it was, and I'm looking for the quote here because it was it was really really good um, about the not taking. Oh, it's the uh, so taking something personally, taking everything personally, is the maximum expression of selfishness, yeah. which that huh. really hit. Because then you because it, when you really think about it, he's absolutely right. Uh, because it makes everything about you, as if you're not just the hero of your own story, but the hero of everyone's story, which is clearly not exactly. true. But what? you get to the point where, yeah, I know, Greg. I, I, Sorry, uh, Greg. I should be the hero of your story. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm the center of the you universe. Go, you go tell me also. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> it's true, though. It's, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate expression of selfishness. And I love that phrase because it really drives the point home of, look, you're taking something personally, whether it's for an attack by a human being or a perceived attack by the universe, is the ultimate narcissism. It's thinking it's about you when it's like that old, I don't know if it's uh, how old it is, but like a Buddhist proverb of you're sitting uh, in a boat on a lake and a boat hits you and you get mad, you have that flash of anger and then you turn around and you realize it was an empty boat. There was no intention behind it and all of your anger goes away, right? That's that. That's how we should look at That's a much healthier way to look at life than looking at everything as, as somebody steering the boat into you. Hmm. And yet at the time that you spend reacting by going to anger first and going to blame first, you're not attending to what needs to happen with the boat that's just been hit. Right. Very so right. yeah, it, it's not it, it's not all about me. Despite what I tell my children, it's all about me. No, <laughs> it, it's it's not really all about me. And it's it's not just that it's the height of selfishness. It's really becomes the the height of self abuse. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's all about me, and then so therefore everything that's happened was done to me, then I can use that as beating myself up. Either I did it, it happened so I'm a failure, or everybody's out to get me, or the world is out to get me. I don't have the opportunity to see beyond blame. Yeah. So how do you counteract well, that? Yeah. Um, you read a book and you never leave your house. No, 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 no. <laughs> Matt, there's your no. cure. You're for being a hermit. <laughs> it, it's, the key to that is reframing. It, okay. It's having a minute to be aware and reframe what else could it be. You know, and what else? And what else? To look for other perspectives. When we go to that knee-jerk perspective, that's, I don't know, Matt and I talked about this uh, an age ago. It was the barn-happy horse, right? So you ride a horse to wherever it is that you're going, and as soon as you step down off out of the saddle and hit the ground, bam, the horse runs back to the barn because it's the only place that he's comfortable. Well, we have well-worn neural pathways that are the same thing. We have habitual responses to things and we have to break mm. that pattern so the first piece is instead of going to that immediate well-worn neural pathway to oh, the world's out to get me or oh I'm a screw up it's to look at well, what else could it be you know who was driving the boat that ran into me it's oh look look first look at what else it could be what are the other scenarios that it could be make stuff up look everything's made up anyway Rick Tamlin has been saying this for a decade it's all made up why not make up something good yeah. That's so true. Yeah, what I all think all unsuccessful people struggle with that too. Yeah. The the idea that you can that everything is um, you're forming the map. Whatever you're gonna call it, the map is not the territory, right? That you're forming yeah. that map in your mind anyway. And so as long as you're at it, you might as well form a map that's more productive and get you moving in the in the right direction because it's Absolutely. all it's all up here anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's something I struggle with for a while too. Is just having a more positive. I'm so driven by what is the truth, the objective truth, uh, that you sometimes get caught up in, and you believe that the way that you perceive things in your mind is the objective truth, and it's not. 
It's just a perception, and you can you can reframe it and have a different mindset and a more productive mindset that gets you moving, and that will that in itself will solve a lot of problems. That's actually you've captured a you've got a perfect capture of the fourth agreement: the always do your best. There okay. is no objective best. There is no objective truth. Yeah. Right? It's yep. it's situational at best. So and and you know we could do a ten-hour show on truth. This is <laughs> yes, we could. the idea, and we'd be wrong. The idea of, of <laughs> always do your best, and there being some objective definition of what best is. It's sort of like, you know, moving towards fulfillment. There's no there, there. Yeah. Right. Fulfillment today is different than fulfillment tomorrow. Your best today is different than your best tomorrow. The the, the piece is looking at yourself objectively again. Did I do my best, or did I phone it in a little bit? <laughs> you know what's funny is of all people that had a handle on this, which I, I don't know if anybody on the recording would know who this is, but there's a guy named Charles Finney who was an 18th, 19th century revivalist who uh, wrote some very, very interesting books. And one of the things he talked about was the our, as a human being, we have a diminished capacity. And his point was in, the, in, the, in our ability to act out of love, there's always a level at which we cannot hold ourselves to a, a real standard of perfection because just the fact that we're human beings diminishes our right. capacity. Yes. And, but we have to be okay with, the, with giving the level that we do have to give. I, one of my coaches, Laurie Schneider, said to me years ago, he's, oh, those wacky humans. He was constantly reminding me that I'm human and I was holding myself to unreasonable standards. And it's amazing how often he said that to me. <laughs> and I still hear his voice. Um, and, and it is amazing that, that we hold ourselves to an unreasonable standard. And part of that is the acculture, acculturation that Achievement Elite is an example of it. There's so many ways in which we try to hold ourselves as more than human, but you're right, we're not. We're flawed because we're human. Yeah. So how do you become okay with that? How do you become okay with, one, realizing, not pushing yourself to absurd levels, that, which then ultimately are going to disconnect you from your deconnect, disconnect you from your family and people that are close to you, drive a wedge between love, you know, loving relationships, but also being okay, I'm okay with with not, you know, make, being a billionaire, I can be a, mi a multi-millionaire, and in you psychologically, you know, come around to that, you know, understanding inside your head, going, this new reality is okay with me, and not feeling let down. Well, and and to sort of oversimplify it, the the we tend to look at one currency and one currency only, dollars. Right, or money, mm -hmm. right? And what we don't look at is the currencies of the loving relationship, peace of mind, free time, travel, whatever the other things are that we hold valuable. So when we only measure it by the number of zeros that we have in the bank, mm -hmm. trailing, not leading zeros, <laughs> when we only measure it that way, it's really hard to see where we're being successful. You know, my dad was a doctor in the 70s, 70s and 80s and 90s, and... Um, he was also there for all of my soccer games and a ton of the practices wow. and for the school recitals. Now, that sort of sucked. <laughs> I think he was happy to be there, but there's still the downside. Um, but the point was that he was there when I grew up. He was part of my world. And so many of the kids that I grew up with whose dads were doctors, they weren't there. So you make a choice as to what you want to do. And I think practically he did something brilliant. He had a partner. His, his first partner in his practice was into all of the political side of the practice as well, being on this committee, on that board, on this, whatever. So they were a great partnership. 
mm. because they each covered different areas of the practice. And so it allowed him, he, whether consciously or not, he decided on what the life was that he wanted to live and built his business to support that. Interesting. So important that you that, that people understand that concept because it's the it's the polar opposite of everything you get told in any kind of formal education or any kind of conversation that you have with friends or relatives or anybody else that's in business or growing. They don't understand. They don't look at it that way. They just look at like you, like you said, one currency, dollar, you know, ones and zeros, cash, money. Yeah. You know, they don't look at the the you be able to take a two week, you know, three day three times a, a year you take a fourteen day, fifteen day vacation. You still so you don't make. Five million dollars, or say you make five hundred thousand, and you you get to have a quality of life. You have money in the bank, kids are healthy, wife is happy, traveling the world, and you know, a thriving business. But you're not making the five mil, dude. The guy in the five mil, fifty mil, hundred mil, billion, not exactly the most happy group of people I've ever talked to. No, yeah, yeah, they're just as miserable as the rest. They sacrifice, <laughs> yeah, they sacrifice, you know, their, they sacrifice the other aspects of their life, which I know a lot of guys and gals that are overweight, you know, bad family relationships, but they could buy the United States over, you know, two times over. Right. But spouse doesn't want to be with them. Kids yep. don't like them. Yep. No, thanks. And that's, look, you know, as, as it's not really something you normally hear a business coach say, but hey, we're not on this planet to make money. <laughs> we're not. We're here to make an impact. And yeah. to leave things, I believe, a little bit better than they were before we got here. Hopefully a lot of better. Um, and that's not just by making money. There's nothing worse than, you know, growing up in the 80s, being in college during the, the early and mid-Reagan years. Um, I came out of, you know, Ivy League institution. And a lot of my classmates were going to Wall Street, make a lot of money. And then I can do all those idealistic things I had deep in my heart when I was in school and when I was growing up. Mm. And then they get to our age now and they're like, Damn, I got the money. What was it that I really wanted to do? Yeah, yeah. You know, Matt. That's the one good thing about, you know, Matt and I when we do our podcasts. You know, he and I joke about it all the time. This is some. This is not work for us. This is this is playtime. And if someone drops fifty million dollars in each of our accounts, we wouldn't stop. We'd double down on some on this because we love <laughs> right. what we do. <laughs> yeah, that's that is fun. It's a cool. It's a cool realization to come to. I, I was telling Greg about that. This is what three or four weeks ago, Greg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, if somebody dropped a hundred million into my account right now, I would probably put some of that money into promoting the podcast and keep on doing what <laughs> right. I'm doing. I want more people to listen because it's, yeah, it's fulfilling and enjoyable. Each of you have your own number, fifty or a hundred. Oh no, um, I'm actually, I'm act, I, my net worth is actually six hundred and fifty million dollars with a hundred million dollars in liquid cash at all times. So that's my actual. Okay, good. That, that's the target. That's a great example of of life work integration. I mean, look, how much can you blend play into what you do? Yeah, yeah. It's so well, just, I mean, it's such a useful question that challenges a limiting belief uh, just all by itself. Just the act of asking the question is a good exercise. Mm-hmm. Verbalizing it. I, I actually play a very fun game. David, I'm, I'm not sure if you, well, I think I just made it up. So I do, I call it the 7 to 7 game. And it's, you get to pick, you, you, you invented air. Okay, and there's seven billion people that walk and live on this planet. Every time someone breathes, you make money, aka money is absolutely no problem. Now you have to pick seven modes of transportation, and it can't be like the new Honda Civic. Okay, that doesn't count. It has to be like, you, 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 like a ridiculously bigger, like, like to get your brain to think bigger. And then you know, seven homes or locations around the world, and what what you what would you be living in? And Matt was talking about limiting beliefs. A lot of people say, well, you know, that new Dodge sure does look good. I'm like, 
You're not getting it, bro. You can. Uh, <laughs> I mean, go take out the, uh, the 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 platinum aircraft carrier with you know that's been bedazzled in you know fist-sized diamonds. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Something like yeah, just play, it. Mm-hmm. play it. Can we just skip straight to the Star Trek transporter? Yeah, right, right. Sounds way better. (laughs) Except for the occasional getting scrambled into a bulkhead. I mean, that sounds much, much better than having to ride in a a aircraft carrier. (laughs) (laughs) Scrambled into a bulkhead. (laughs) Small problems. Otherwise, it was perfect. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I don't know what that guy with the trans like that was working the transporter controls. I don't know what skill level that took, but I don't know if I trust that guy. He was always he was always an ensign. He was never one of the commanding crew. And a uh, He was a tra- yeah. Was a, he was a trainee. I don't know why they were letting him run the transporter. Anyway, <laughs> that's a digression right there. Holy crap! Yes, Can't we you? have to. Uh, we we do digress. All right. Yes. So the so the book is called the Four Agreements. We'll have to uh, to put a pin in this one. We could talk for a lot a lot about limiting beliefs and uh, and life work balance and stuff like that. But uh, refresh people, David, on on how they can take a a step towards you if if they if they sound like someone that's in that position where they might be an ideal client. Uh, just describe real quick what that is and how they can take a step towards you. Awesome. First step is just to go with the theme here of, of the book and and building your own reading list. I've got it. You can go to uh, leadersread.com. L-E-A-D-E-R-S, leadersread.com. It'll bring up the entrepreneurs reading list that I've put up on my website. So you can see a list of you know, just an incredible library. Go slowly. Don't order them all at once, although Amazon would love that. <laughs> um, um, you know, pick your three favorite and start there. Obviously, I would say start with the four agreements is, is an ideal one. Um, so that that's a good place to start just for building your own, you know, stretching your brain a little bit. Uh, in terms of working with me, I, it, it's so simple. If, if when I said I turned the doorknob and my stomach started to turn, if you felt that one viscerally, it's the ideal time. If you see that that's coming, think of it as a concept of raising the bottom. If I don't do anything different, is it just going to get worse? That's the ideal time. Decide that you're going to shift things. The And Greg, you said it earlier. It's about creating a life plan, figuring out what you want, and then creating your business to support it. That's really where I like to work with folks. The, the, The folks that are ideal to work with me, they know that there's something more and truly believe that there's something better, and they're really driven to create change right now. Mm-hmm. So that resonates. Go to dtkcoaching.com. You can see it on the bottom of the, the screen, dtkcoaching.com, and lots of ways to either interact with me or you can click right to contact. Right. Or you can download my book from the website. I really don't. What, what book is that? Refresh my memory, David? It's uh, This is your wake-up call. It's okay. time to create the life that you want and build your business to support it. Perfect. There's so a theme here. I'm yes, there is. <laughs> David, I'm looking at the uh, the Leaders Read page, and there are some yeah. phenomenal yes. books on here. Yeah. But there's also a lot of stuff that I haven't read, which yeah. you're giving me a lot of. There's a ton of uh, Patrick Lencioni's stuff, which we need to have him on, him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Greg actually, Greg's team actually sold him his last house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but there's yeah, there's a ton of people on there, a ton of books on there that I don't recognize. So this is a great, great reading list for me, David. 
Oh, look, I'll, I'll give you another thing. One of the books on, that, the, on, the, on the list, you'll see two books that I think are, are critical for folks right now. One is Positive Intelligence, and one is Conversational Intelligence. The Positive Intelligence, go to his website, positiveintelligence.com. If you want to get introduced to the different voices in your head, the saboteurs, those negative self-talk voices that we all have, um, he's got a great assessment on his website. Um, so go to positiveintelligence.com, and it will give you a chance to meet your saboteurs, um, which will dovetail nicely into the conversation we're having today, how we beat ourselves up unnecessarily. Yeah, um, one of those things where awareness is half the battle. Absolutely. Yeah. And you and I will do something on – the three of us should do something on conversational intelligence as well, which is a brilliant mm. book by Judith Glazer. So, yeah, I would awesome. love to. I, you – I'm dyslexic. Matt p picks on me all the time for being dyslexic. Thank you for picking on the child with the d learning disability, Matthew. Right. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Make me sound like a horrible person. <laughs> you, you're not mentally disabled. You just don't like you. You're dyslexic, and you prefer to listen to them on uh, on Audible, which is fine. Right. <laughs> they will because of that. They will eventually sponsor our show, and you will be a little closer to your five hundred million dollar net worth. Exactly. Six hundred and fifty. Six hundred and fifty. Hundred million. Yes. All no, right, guys. Well, with that, with that being said, um, Greg, I sent you the link to uh, to David's reading list, so it stays on our radar. So we actually oh, go there. But yeah, I would, David, I would seriously love to have you back and talk about yeah. that book once and Greg have a chance to dive into it. And literally any book you want to talk about, we will have you back on to talk about. My mm -hmm. pleasure. Would love to do it. You guys Very are a blast. Cool. All right. Oh, cool. cool. Well, with that, for the general public, just want to thank you real quick for, for watching and listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. And then if you want the audio versions uh, just nestled between your ears where we so, so belong, head on over to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe there. And we will uh, see everybody on the next one. Yeah, guys, thanks.